Divine Healing. By Rod Anderson. Lesson 4. Father, we thank you once again for your word, and once again we ask you to grant us uh, just a big, a huge, giant ocean full of your spirit of wisdom and revelation, that you would really open up our ears to hear the spirit of God speaking to us through the word of God, that you would open our hearts and allow there to be a flood of spiritual life to come into our spirits and our hearts, Lord. That this word, Father, would begin to do what it's intended to do, like all seed, that it would begin to birth itself on the inside, that it would take root deeply, that it would just take root deeply and then begin to bear fruit upwardly out through our flesh. Father, we thank you for it again. We trust your spirit. We know that your spirit hovers over your word today, just like it did in the beginning. So we thank you, Father, that we're going to keep the word in, our, in the midst of our heart. You said it will be Life and health to all our flesh. Keep these words in the midst of your heart, and we're going to endeavor to do that. So we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Quit looking for reasons to remain sick. Quit looking for reasons to justify your sickness. Quit having great faith in your past history of how you tried it before, you tried this or you tried that. Forget about what you tried before. Quit thinking about all that stuff. Every day is a brand new day. You've got to understand that every single day is a brand new day. And I don't care how many times people have laid hands on you. I don't care how many times you, quote, tried or you, quote, tried to pray. and wanted. You've got to get past it and understand that this is the miracle of Christianity. Every single day is a brand new, fresh, fresh outpouring of God's mercies. And every day he comes and he presents, he is ready for you to present yourself to him. His arms are wide open, his heart is full, and there's a smile on his face the size of the Grand Canyon. And he's just wanting to put his arms around you and love you. And he's not looking at what you didn't do right yesterday. And he's not looking at what you tried last month. And he's not looking at the conference you went to and nothing happened. He's just wanting to love you and allow that explosion of his grace to, 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 to happen in your life. And let's, you know, be still and know that I'm God. You know, if we could distill these brains of ours sometime. But turn to John 10. Let's look at just a, a you know, a very strong statement Jesus said, again, to try to get us to understand this. In John chapter 10, verse 7, I'll start there. So Jesus said again, I assure you, most solemnly, I tell you that I myself am the door for the sheep. All others who came as such before me are thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to and obey them. Verse 9, I am the door. Anyone who enters in through me will be saved, will live. He will come in and he will go out freely and he will find pasture. The thief, now verse 10 is the one we want to see again. He, and he just says it as plain as he can say it. The thief comes only in order to steal and to kill and destroy. I came, Now I know that you can quote it, but receive it. 
He said, I came that you may have and enjoy life. But he didn't stop there. I said he didn't stop there. He said, I came that you might have and enjoy life. And I'm going to tell you something. This may be deep revelation for you. You can't enjoy life and be sick at the same time. I came that you might have and enjoy life. But I repeat, he didn't stop there. And he said, and have it in abundance. Now the King James says what? The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The Amplified says, I came that you might have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Now, do we believe that? I said, do we believe that? Do, do you think he meant it? Yes. I mean, so you've got to answer that for yourself. I can't answer it for you. We're not talking about your present status. We're talking about coming into agreement with what Jesus said he came to do. It says he came that you might have life. You see, you remember the first statement we made at the first of the course again, that we make it almost all of them. Faith begins where the will of God is known. This has to be established. This has to be a nail in a sure place in your spirit. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus, this Lord, this Christianity, this man that I'm following. See, I hope you're not following church. We're following a man named Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's my Lord. Church isn't my Lord. Church isn't my God. Jesus is my God. He's my elder brother. He's my friend. He's my great shepherd. He came for Rod Anderson that Rod Anderson might have life and have it more abundantly to the full till it overflows. Now he came to do that. So evidently he's done whatever was necessary to do so that I could have that. And evidently he's come to do whatever's necessary for you to have that. Not just to have life, but to have life till it overflows. To have life till it's abundant, till it overflows. Now, for me to settle for anything less is to accept a lie. Wouldn't that be a correct statement? Mm -hmm. So now what's my opportunity? Well, because I'm not experiencing abundance in life right now, I guess what I should do is condemn myself and uh, continually look at where I've fallen short and see how ugly I am and what have you and why didn't God give me a body of like Tom Cruise or something like that and you know what I mean? You know, why didn't, why didn't, why didn't, why didn't, why didn't, why didn't, poor me, poor me, poor me, poor me, poor me, why didn't, why didn't, why didn't, how come, how come, how come? I can't live my life in that. I have to live my life knowing that I serve a risen savior who said, Rod, I have abundant life for you right now, today you can begin to release your faith for more abundance, but it's your choice. But this is the key. This is why we have to keep teaching faith again. I'm telling you, you we have to teach faith. What are, what I can only meet you, Rod, where you believe. I can only meet you where you release faith. If you want to keep that that you have, you can keep that which you have. I've told you, you can have what you say, but you keep saying what you have. 
I've never forgot that old teaching in Charles Capps all those years ago when he made that statement. He said, God spoke to him in a dream and he said, I've told my people they can have what they say, but my people are saying what they have. And so they keep possessing. They keep possessing and anchoring to their bodies and their lives that which they're saying on one side of their mouth that they want to get rid of because they don't understand that it's a spiritual law. I told my people they can have what they say, but they keep saying what they have. I have too many bills. I can't make all these payments. I don't know if I'll ever get rid of this pain. I guess I'll always have. We keep owning that which we then say on another time we want rid of, but it's like scales. If you keep putting weights on one side, my friends, that scale, that side is going to constantly be the one that hits the table. We've got to keep adding faith. We've got to keep, you know, it's, I don't, you know, I started to say I don't care. I do care. <laughs> but the point is, it's everybody's individual decision. They don't have to believe this. They can say this is some hyper message, but it's the Bible. And you know, like I always say, there haven't been many Smith Wigglesworths, but there was one. And if there was one, there can be another. There haven't been many, been many John G. Lakes, but there was one. If there was one, there could be another. But these men had control of their tongues, had control of their lives. They believed God. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So Jesus Christ said categorically, it is the thief that destroys. You look at the next verse we have down there, 1 John 3, 8. Uh, I'm going to actually turn and I'll read that from the King James, but I'm going to read it from the Amplified as well. I can quote it, but I'm going to turn here to it. First John 3, another scripture that I'm sure is tattooed on your heart as well. It says, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, he said, now for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, though. It was for this purpose. It was for this purpose. See, because, because of the devil and because of sin, God's Son was manifested so that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, before you freak out about the first part of that verse, like I used to freak out about it when I was a young Christian, it said, he that committed sin is of the devil. And I remember reading that going, well, <laughs> I still sin. Oh my God, I'm of the devil. You know what I mean? <laughs> But what it says, it, it, but it, like in the Amplified Bible, it says, he who commits sin, who practices evil doing. And what he's speaking about is somebody who just constantly has made it their, it's their, it speaks of the fact that they make it a practice to search sin. And that's none of you. Trust me, none of you. But he who commits sin, who practices evil doing is of the devil. He takes his character from the evil one for the devil has sinned and violated the divine law from the beginning. But the very reason the son of God was made manifest. And again, here you ask yourself a question. Was his work successful? Was the work of Jesus Christ successful? Did he accomplish what he came to accomplish? And it says here, the reason the son of God was made manifest or visible was to undo, destroy, loosen, and dissolve the works the devil has done. So the devil introduces sin and sin with all of its influences, sin with all of its penalties, like we said earlier, whatever that was, the reason the Son of God came 
was to destroy, to loosen, dissolve, to undo them all. Hallelujah. And again, at some point you have to say, okay, I believe that. I believe he did what he came to do. I mean, when he was on the cross, he did say it is finished. He did say, I came to do your will, Father, and I've done your will. Now I'm going to commit myself unto you because I'm going to commit these people back unto you. And I've done my part. All the promises of God, remember 2 Corinthians chapter 1, all the promises of God find their yes answer in Christ Jesus. Everything God promised, everything God promised was made sure by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've already quoted Acts 10, 38, but again it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. I'm going to read this passage in Luke 13. This is about the woman uh, with the spirit of infirmity. But Luke 13, verses 10 through 17, it says, And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Reading from the outline. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. Infirmity means, the word here, it means sickness. Infirmity means a weakness or sickness or disease. Now, she's had this for 18 years. Behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. In other words, she was just bent over like a rheumatoid arthritic probably. When Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, let's talk about how much sin there is in your life. Is that what he said? No. He just said, woman, thou art loosed. Thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her. And immediately she was made straight, it says, and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed, and it's, this is so funny to me, and it says, he answered with indignation because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and said unto the people, there are six days, there are six days, it says, in which men ought to work, in them therefore come and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, thou hypocrite, I mean, this is amazing to me, you know, here's this guy that's been in church his whole life. But the Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, ought not this woman being a... Now watch what he says, because this is this covenant statement. We'll probably come to this at some point when we actually, you know, get in, on, on the blood covenant teachings. It says, and ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham, a daughter of Abraham, notice what he speaks, how he speaks of her. He calls her, what he's saying is, this is somebody that's in this covenant that we're in. And he's saying anybody who's in this covenant that we're in has this covenant right. So he said, and ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, Lo, these 18 years, shouldn't she be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed and all the people rejoiced for all, rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. 
So again, the whole point of what we're saying there is that without a doubt, the scripture teaches that again, that sickness and disease is, I mean, Satan is the author of sickness and disease in any form. And again, we're just going through scripture after scripture. And Jesus said this was a covenant partner that had been bowed together for 18 years. Jesus said she was bound by Satan. So the summary of that, I just want to go through this part and then I'm going to read you something from uh, Bosworth's book. And it's actually from one of Wigglesworth's sermons here. God created man, I mean, without sickness, without disease. We have to see that. Like I said, remember in the beginning, there's three places you can see the perfect will of God unhindered. Number one is in the garden before the fall. Number two is in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And number three is in heaven. God created man without sickness or disease. Point B, Satan is the author of the curse of sickness. But point C, we have to really believe this. In what Jesus Christ did, it says we've been redeemed or purchased back, bought back again from that place. So now again, Galatians 3, which is a I probably say this about so many of them, but I mean, it is. It's some of the most basic scriptures of our Christianity. But the whole thing, what Paul's saying here in Galatians 3 about this redemption, he said here about the difference between the law and one have you. I'm going to read from verse 11, Galatians verse 3, chapter 3, verse 11. But again, I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. Paul said, now it is evident. This is chapter 3, verse 11 of Galatians. Now it is evident that no person is justified declared righteous and brought into right standing with God through the law. For the scripture says, the man in right standing with God, the just, the righteous, shall live by and out of faith. And he through and by faith, he, excuse me, and he who through and by faith is declared righteous and in right standing with God shall live. Verse 12, but the law does not rest on faith, does not require faith, has nothing to do with faith. For it itself says, he who does them, he who does them, the things prescribed by the law shall live by them, not by faith. But Christ purchased our freedom. This is Galatians 3.13. Christ purchased our freedom, redeeming us from the curse or the doom of the law and its condemnation by himself becoming a curse for us. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree and is crucified to the end, in other words, for this reason, that through their receiving Christ Jesus, the blessing promised to Abraham might come upon the Gentiles so that we, through faith, might all receive the realization of the promise that came through the Holy Spirit. But again, it says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, you know, when you, well, you know what, let's just turn back to Deuteronomy 28 and just let me show you something. I mean, when you really read the scriptures and you think about even in the Old Testament, see much less today, much less today when Jesus Christ is ascended and he's seated, seated at the right hand of God, it's incredible, to me, incredible for me to think that if people are actually honest, honest students of the scriptures, and they'll look at this here. Now, even under the old covenant, like I said, even under the old covenant, how can anybody deny what the will of God was? Now, so I'm gonna read just the first several verses again. I want you to ask yourself, a pro, ask yourself a question. As I read this, as I read the promises of the, the blessings of keeping the law, 
Does it sound like it's God's will for you to be sick or lack or have problems? I mean, just think about it. This is, this is the will of God back then. This is what God's promise was way before Christ. It said, if you will listen, verse Deuteronomy 28.1, if you will listen diligently to the voice of the Lord your God, being watchful to do all his commandments, which I command you this day, the Lord your God will set you above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you'll heed the voice of the Lord your God. Now watch this. I mean, I know that you know it, but listen. Listen to what he said. Really listen to what the Spirit of God is saying. He said, blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body. Blessed shall be the fruit of your ground, the fruit of your beasts, the increase of your cattle, the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading trowel. Blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord shall cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before your face. See, it doesn't say enemies won't come. You hear that? See, it doesn't say sickness won't. Sickness and disease is an enemy. But the point is, so many people say, well, if I'm a Christian, it shouldn't even, if it's not God's will for his people to be sick, then it shouldn't even come. No, no, no. Jesus again said, in the world you'll have tribulation. But he said, be of good cheer. See, most of the people today say, oh, well, the Bible says in the world you have tribulation, so I'm, here I am, I'm just in tribulation, so I think I'll just tribulate for the next 20 years. Or remember, like I said, they, they quote half a scripture. Many are the, you know what the Bible says, folks, many are the afflictions of the righteous, and everybody goes, yes, amen, hallelujah. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Yes, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Do you agree? Yes. How many do, how many out there agree with me? Yes, many are the afflictions of the right. But that the next part of the verse says, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. But the Lord delivers. But see, people like to camp on the negative side of this thing. But here he said, the Lord shall cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way, but they'll flee before you seven ways. The Lord shall command the blessing upon you in your storehouse and in all that you undertake. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you if you'll keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the people of the earth. Now, can you catch this? It's just like when we talked on Exodus, looked at Exodus about the plagues in Goshen. I keep referring to the principle of Goshen, which is a type of the kingdom of God. God wants his people spared from whatever comes upon the world. The plagues that come upon the world it's not necessary for them to come upon God's people if we'll be in a place of obedience. He gives a promise. Psalm 91 says the same thing. If you'll bless God, you can be hidden under the shadow of the Almighty and none of that stuff will have to come upon you. All through Scripture, he's made these promises, Old Testament, New Testament. But here he said, the Lord will establish, he said, and the Lord, verse 9 again, the Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you if you'll keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. But listen to verse 10. And all people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name and in the presence of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. Well, what is he really saying there? He's saying, I want the world to see that it's worth serving me. 
They're going to see, all they see is blessed. You're blessed coming in. You're blessed. Every, look at these people. Look at these people. Everywhere they go, they're blessed. They're blessed coming in. They're blessed going out. Their children are blessed. They're blessed in the fruit of their body. They're blessed in their, in their fields. They're blessed in their cattle. These people are blessed. God wants the world to see what it means to serve a living God is what we're trying to get at. And then it says in verse 11, and the Lord shall make you have a surplus of prosperity through the fruit of your body, of your livestock, of your ground, and the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord shall open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give the rain of your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. And you're going to lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord shall make you the head and not the tail. You should be above only. You shall not be beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day and are watchful to do them. And you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right hand or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. Now, I'm telling you, you know, if we still just read those 14 verses every day, how can you? This is in the old covenant. Now, and you've got to keep remembering. It's like I want to scream. This Bible says in Hebrews that we have a better covenant based upon even better promises. Doesn't it? Is, doesn't it say that? We have a better these first 14 verses sound pretty good to me. <laughs> I, I mean, really, just be honest for a moment. Just be simple enough to be honest. Those first 14 verses, are they, has the will of God, has, has the will of Almighty God changed? I mean, are you going to tell me that these first 14 verses, that original will of God for people that would walk up right before him, has that changed? It hasn't. God help us if we think it has. It hasn't changed. That's still the will of God today. Those people, can you imagine seeing, physically seeing a people that walked in that? I mean, they're blessed in every... And again, why? Because God said the whole world, all nations will see you. All nations will see that you're called by my name. You see, this is something that's so critical. So, nothing, none, really, really hear me, I'm going to try to say this as simply as I can. None of the promises, oh Lord, help me say this right. Primarily, everybody say primarily. Primarily. Primarily, all of the promises of God are not really for you as God's children, because you're already God's children. Primarily, God's blessings upon you are to be for those who are not yet saved. If you'll ever catch that simple thing. I want, you see, God wants you blessed, but see, as long as I want to be blessed because I want to be blessed, there's leaven in there. Even as long as I want to be healed, if the only real reason I because you see, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you something God knows. God knows the hearts of men. He knows the hidden secrets of all men's hearts. And this is why whether it comes to money or even healing, let me tell you, some people will never have money because it would destroy them. Plain and simple. Because God's already seen 
that they're not even faithful in the little bit that they have. Why should he trust people with masses of money when they're really not faithful? You have to be found faithful in little things before, remember, that's what the Bible says, before you can ever be faithful over much, you have to be faithful over little. And people think we're trying to get their money. You know, as preachers, when you talk to them about finances, they th- and, you, and, you, and they don't see they're so carnal. Sin, iniquity has worked such a strong work in the earth that people have so much selfishness ingrained in their spirits that everything that they do is for themselves, even if they say it isn't. And so they, they say, well, but see, it's, it's not what you say, it's what you do with your life. A lot of people can say, well, if I had this, I would do that. That carries no weight with God whatsoever because God looks at what you do with what you already got. Now, you may as well smile at me because it's the truth anyhow. Well, the same thing happens with healing. Some people, the truth be known, God, uh, uh, they want to be healed so they can be more comfortable when they watch Coronation Street. The divine promises of Almighty God are for those who are working for him. What I mean by that is, if God sees that your heart is to share this gospel, that your heart is to, is to feed people and to bring the life of Christ wherever you go, you see, you need to be healthy to do that. Do you hear me? And I'm not saying that, see, I said, so I want you to see that why I said primarily. Now, secondarily, of course, God will heal you because that's what Jesus referred to when he said this. He said that when that woman, the Samaritan woman walked up and said, Lord, wanted to be healed. But he said, healing is the children's bread. Remember that? Healing, he said, belongs to the children. It's the, he said, it's, it's just the obvious provision for my children. Now, I'm not going to get into that, what he said, that teaching about with the, with the woman there. But the point is, what I'm trying to say is he's, he was saying there that healing is, of course, available to you. But see, beyond that, what I'm trying to get you to see is this principle here. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, so that the blessing. Now, I read all the blessing of the law here. Now, from the 15th verse onward, through about the next 40-some verses are all the things that are part of the curses that do come with the disobedience, the disobediences of breaking God's laws in those days, those commandments. But remember, I'm hesitating here because we're back in the Old Covenant. We're back under the law, reading about things under the law, but we're just reading here in Galatians. You see, we're no longer under the law at all. Christ fulfilled it. Christ has redeemed us from the curse so that the blessing. See, he didn't redeem us from the blessing. (laughs) The blessing is still ours. But I said all that to say this. I want you to just read one verse, which is, I've got it on the outline. It's two verses, verse 60 and 61, Deuteronomy 28, verse 60 and 61. I want you to read these two two verses about part, what was part of the curse. This was part of the curse. Verse 60, Deuteronomy 28, 60. Moreover, he will bring upon thee all the diseases of Egypt, which thou wast afraid of, and they shall cleave unto thee. But now listen to verse 61. Listen to this verse. Also, every sickness, every sickness and every plague, which is not written 
In other words, that's not even named in the book of this law. Them will the Lord bring upon thee until thou be destroyed. In other words, I don't care what disease there is. It may not, listen, AIDS isn't named in the Bible. But it's named right here in verse 61. In other words, you can't find AIDS in there. But every sickness and disease, not only named, it says, it says not even listed in this curse, will come upon people. But the point is, Christ has paid the price for every, any, all sickness and disease. Anything. Anything that will come, anything that has come, it makes no difference. The answer, again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the answer finds itself in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, let me just... Uh, I don't know how if we'll actually get to the next lesson, but let me just read this. I'm going to read a couple of things here. Actually, which should I read first? Uh, because, like I said, healing comes in different ways. It comes from, you know, the gifts of the Spirit, but mostly healings come from our, our learning how to release our faith. That's why we're going through these lessons. But I, I can't help but read a couple of things here. This is from... Uh, a sermon. I've got a lot of Smith Wigglesworth sermons. You can actually get them on the internet. This, these are literal transcriptions. They would write their sermons out on those days and what have you. But this is a sermon that Smith Wigglesworth gave on the gifts of healings and miracles in 1924. I'm just going to start in the middle of it and just read several bits of it. This is Wigglesworth talking. Quote, he said, the gifts of healing are so varied. You may go and see 10 people and every case is different. I am never happier in the Lord than when I'm in a bedroom with a sick person. I have had more revelations of the Lord's presence when I ministered to the sick at their bedsides than at any other time. It is as your heart goes out to the needy ones in deep compassion that the Lord manifests his presence. You are able to locate their position. It is then that you know that you must be filled with the spirit to deal with the conditions before you. When people are in sickness, this, this makes you laugh, but it's so true. Listen to what he said. When people are in sickness, you find frequently that they are dense about the scripture. <laughs> they usually know three scriptures, though. They know about Paul's thorn in the flesh. They know that Paul told Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach's sake. And they know that Paul left someone sick somewhere but they forget his name and they don't remember the name of the place and they don't know where the chapter is. In other words, see what people do know about healing is they know where, they know where scriptures are that tell them that it's okay to be sick. He said, most people think they have a thorn in the flesh. The chief thing in dealing with the person who is sick is to locate their exact position. As you are ministering under the Spirit's power, the Lord will let you see just that which will be more helpful and most faith-inspiring to them. When I was in the plumbing business, I enjoyed praying for the sick. Urgent calls would come, and I would have no time to wash. And with my hands all black, I would preach to these sick ones, my heart all aglow with love. Ah, oh, you must have your heart in the thing. You must have your heart in the thing when you pray for the sick. You have to get right to the bottom of the cancer with the divine compassion, and then you will see the gifts of the Spirit in operation. I was called at 10 o'clock one night to pray for a young person given up by the doctor who was dying of consumption. As I looked, I saw that unless God undertook, it was impossible for her to live. I turned to the mother and said, well, mother, you'll have to go to bed. 
She said, oh, I have not had my clothes off for three weeks. I then turned and said to the daughters, you will also have to go to bed, but they did not want to go. It was the same with the son. I put on my overcoat and I said, goodbye then, I'm off. <laughs> they said, oh, don't leave us. But I said, I can do nothing here. They said, oh, if you will stop and stay, we will all go to bed. Now listen to what he said. I knew that God would move nothing in an atmosphere of mere natural sympathy and unbelief. That's so powerful. I knew God would move nothing in an atmosphere of mere natural sympathy and unbelief. This is what you've heard me preach and Julie preach for so many years. Why we talk about the great, great issue like what Bosworth said is where Jesus could do, himself could do no mighty works in Nazareth because of unbelief. And Bosworth said, today I'm surprised that we have even the miracles that we do have because whereas Jesus labored in a Nazareth of unbelief, we labor in a universal Nazareth of unbelief. There's so much unbelief it's incredible. But what Wigglesworth had here was the same thing that Jesus dealt with with Jairus. He had to put all the unbelief out of the room before he could raise that girl from the dead. I'm telling you, if you can summon, this is why we work at this and why we feed our spirits with the word of God, because we've got, we are the house of God. We've got to get the unbelief out of our house. That's just the way it is. And I tell you, I've been all the great men of God that the Lord's allowed me to be around. If it's anything I've learned, I learned that. When you really need a miracle, you need to purge the atmosphere as best you can from unbelief. And sometimes you have to labor to see it because unbelief hides itself very well. Like I always say, you don't know what people really believe until you see them under pressure and as you listen to them. But let me keep going here. He said, I knew that God would move nothing in an atmosphere of mere natural sympathy and belief. They all went to bed and I stayed. And that was surely a time as I knelt by that bed face to face with death and with the devil. But God can change the hardest situation and make you know that he is almighty. Then the fight came. It seemed as though the heavens were brass. I prayed from 11 p.m. to 3.30 in the morning. That's four and a half hours. We, we pray for five minutes and think we've done something great. <laughs> this guy is sitting by somebody's bed, a woman's bed for four and a half hours praying. He said, I saw the glimmering light on the face of the sufferer and I saw her pass away and die. The devil said to me, now you're done for, you've come all the way from Bradford and the girl has died on your hands. I said, it can't be. God did not send me here for nothing. This is a time to change strength. I remembered that passage which said, quote, men ought always to pray and not to faint. Death had taken place, but I knew that my God was all powerful and that he that had split the Red Sea is just the same today. And I love this statement. He said, it was a time when I would not have no. And God said, yes. <laughs> I looked at the window and at that moment, the face of Jesus appeared. It seemed as though a million rays of light were coming from his face. As he looked at the one who had just passed away, the color came back to the face. She rolled over and fell asleep. Then I had a glorious time. <laughs> In the morning, she woke early, put on a dressing gown, walked to the piano, started to play, and she sang a wonderful song. The mothers, the sisters, and the brothers all came down to listen. They were quite alarmed. The Lord had undertaken, a miracle had been wrought. 
And he goes on to say, and I don't want to keep reading because of time now, because I've just got a few minutes left. He said, the Lord is calling us along this way. Listen to the statement. I am thanking God for difficult cases. The Lord has called us into heart union with himself. He wants his bride to have one heart and one spirit with him and to do what he himself loved to do. That case had to be a miracle. The lungs were gone. They were just in shreds. But the Lord restored lungs that were perfectly sound. There is a fruit of the spirit that must accompany the gift of healing, and that is long suffering. Now, I wanted to get to this part. Long suffering. He said, there is a fruit of the spirit that must accompany the gift of healing, and that is long suffering. The man who is going through with God, the man who is going to go through with God to be used in healing must be a man of long suffering. He must be always ready with a word of comfort. If the sick one who is in distress and helpless does not see everything eye to eye with you, you must bear long with him. Our Lord Jesus Christ was filled with compassion and he lived and moved in a place of long suffering. And we will have to get into this place if we are to help needy ones. Hallelujah. And I'm just saying that I want to stop there. Like I said, that's only part of the sermon. But the point is, I said in the beginning, sickness, diseases, conditions may have been so rooted in our spirit. And they're in our flesh. But the real problem is that they've been rooted in our spirit. They've, you know, do you remember when it spoke about God's people when they were in captivity in Babylon? And there's this verse in the Psalms that says this. It said that their soul had entered into the iron. In other words, they were in chains physically, but they were there for so long that their souls entered into the iron. Their souls entered into the bondage. You see, it's the old, you have to see the opposite of what he's saying there. It's like to say prison bars do not make you a prisoner. It's the attitude of your heart. I was in prison, like I said, for a few, for years. So, I, you know, you can be in prison and not be a prisoner. You understand? Because of the attitude of your heart. You can be free. And see, but they had been in bondage for so long that they'd lost. It says they'd hung their harps. How can we play the songs of the Lord in, in, you know, in the land of our enemies? So they'd hung their harps on the willows. They no longer sang the songs of God. They no longer sing because they saw their bondage as something eternal. But I, that verse to me is one of the heavy verse, heaviest verses in Scripture. I can't remember which psalm it's in right now. But there's, it said that leanness had entered into their souls and their souls. No, I'm sorry. That's the wrong verse. That's a separate verse totally. But their souls had entered into the iron. And see, some people today have been physically ill for so long that that illness has gone way beyond their physical bodies and it's entered into their souls. In other words, they've accepted. It's part of who I am. It's this part of my identity. I am sick as opposed to sickness is on me. Always remember that truth too when you teach the basics about sickness and disease. Remember that the real truth is that we are the healed of the Lord. We are the redeemed of the Lord today, aren't we? And the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. But let's, so listen, listen. But most people, the way they live is this way. They think, they say it this way. I am sick. I am the sick that needs to be healed. What you need to understand is that you are the healed from whom Satan is trying to steal health. You see it? 
But if you live by owning the lie, I am the sick who needs healing, then you're already a little, like Galatians again says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Just a slight inclination to err will mislead the entire church, it says, and distort the entire conception of faith. Just that little leaning. I am not the sick that is trying to get healed. In heaven's eyes, in the eyes of the Lamb of God, the finished work of the cross, I am the healed of the Lord from whom Satan continued tries to steal from. He's always trying to steal my health. This is why, how, what's the solution then? Above all, raise the shield of faith wherewith I shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. What is faith? Faith is what I believe. So when I sense that thief coming and the sickness starts to come and I can sense that coming on me, the oppression coming on me, I have to, you, listen, you can have the greatest shield on the earth polished up something fierce, but if it's sitting in the corner, it doesn't do you any good. You've got to lift it up in front of the fiery darts. And what is that shield? That shield is faith. What is faith? It's what you believe, right? Well, what do you believe? Well, I am the healed of the Lord. So when sickness, when my body starts to feel sick, this is what most people do. Oh, I feel sick. I'm possibly catching. I think I'm catching the flu. So they begin to own it. I'm getting sicker and sicker with their mouth. What is the spirit of faith? Paul said in 2 Corinthians, we having the same spirit of faith. We have believed. Therefore, have we spoken? See, the spirit of faith in either direction is if you believe it, you speak it. So when sickness comes, I don't get into agreement with it. I resist it. I mean, the number one way I've stayed free is by not letting it get in there in the first place, but lifting this thing up and say, no, in the name of Jesus, you may not come. In Jesus' name, you have no right. You're illegal in my body because I have had the price of sickness and disease already judicially paid for by the blood of my Savior, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I am the healed of the Lord. I am the blessed of the Lord. And I raise that faith up there and I hold that shield up there and I quench those fiery darts. So that's what you're supposed to do. But most of us, like I said, we begin to own the sickness. But again, you, because that's what Jesus did. It is written, it is written, himself took my infirmities. He bore my sicknesses. But, but you've got to be fast because it's, we've been trained to receive the sickness. We've been trained all the life that we have because we've got well-meaning people telling us how sick we are. And the point is that's once it's in your soul or in your body, like I said, normally after a long period of time until you've been taught, it's in your soul and it's in your spirit. This is why we have to do some mining. <laughs> we've got to do some excavation and we've got to pull this stuff out of your spirit. And we've got to pull this stuff out of your soul so that you body can live. Now, now we've got to stop now because we're already at the end of the hour. But again, we started with what? The way sickness entered 
in Genesis back there, he said, on the day that you eat of that tree, dying, you shall surely die. Remember what I said? What we have to do is reverse that now and allow the Word of God, the truth of God to come into our spirit. And then we can say, living, we shall surely live. But there's going to be an outworking of it. We're going to now renew our minds to the Word of God. You see, we're going to renew our minds to the Word of God. And we're going to allow the Word of God to gain entrance into our spirit. We're going to let this Word be written upon the fleshly tablets of our heart. And like I keep saying, don't miss the simplicity. I've only got 60 seconds. God's Word is light. The entrance of God's Word brings light. Don't sit there and tell me that, you, that, that the devil's lies have more power than God's holy Word. If you'll just let God's Word keep coming into your spirit, it will renew your spirit. It will renew your mind. Sickness and disease has no choice. It will have to exit. It will have to. You, but you and I have to work and we have to fight the good fight of faith and guard our hearts and renew our minds. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of the Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. You have reached the end of this lesson. Please insert the next lesson to continue.